Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, good morning. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. Today we're going to start looking in the book of Malachi. Now, if you don't know where Malachi is, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so it's right before Matthew. It is a short book of one of the minor prophets, but it has an important message for us today. And what the book of Malachi has to tell us about and talks about reminds me of a story that I read about a group of college students who wanted to form a new organization at their college And so they called it the Apathy Club. Now, you know, apathy means you don't care, you're indifferent about things and things like that. So they wanted to call it the Apathy Club and they wanted the Apathy Club to be unlike any other club on campus because, you know, most of the organizations that are on campus, they actually have a purpose, they actually have a goal, they they have a common interest that unifies all of them. But this organization, This club was advertised as believing in nothing, pursuing nothing, and doing nothing. They really just didn't care about anything, and they were going to demonstrate their indifference and apathy in an organized fashion. They were going to be an organized people who don't care. But there was just one problem. The self-appointed officers of the Apathy Club, they advertised the first meeting of the Apathy Club, and not a single person showed up because anyone who may have been interested just could not care enough to actually attend. Now, as silly as that little story is, I fear that there are too many people who call themselves Christians that have joined the Apathy Club, and I fear there are too many churches who are kind of an organized indifference. They just don't care. They're indifferent about Christ. They're indifferent about His calling. They're indifferent about What the Bible says about denying oneself and taking up your cross, they're indifferent about the fact that there are people all around us literally going to hell. And we just don't care. They're they're indifferent about what the Scripture says, what the Scripture reveals, what the Scripture calls us to do. So like the Apathy Club, they might look at their Christianity They might look at what they call faith, and then they're just like, meh, who cares? You're going to look at this wonderful Christ that we sang about this morning, this wonderful Christ who saved us, who gave himself for us, and all you have for him is, meh. Is that it? And yet that's the attitude of many Christians in the Western culture. The Bible uses the word lukewarm. And we know about that in one of the churches in the book of Revelation, where Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But they're lukewarm. There, There was a pastor who wrote this little bit of satire, and this is what he wrote. He said, recently I talked to a man I will call Mr. Luke." warm, for he is neither cold nor hot. He says he is a Christian, but seldom attends church. I'm under a great deal of tension where I work, he explained, and often go fishing on weekends for relaxation. Church is all right, but a person can't do everything, you know. Mr. Luke Warm also had an uneasy conscience about his giving, for he continued, 
I put a dollar or two in the offering plate whenever I go, and I think that's all God can expect of me. If I give a tenth of my income, it would amount to more than $2,000. You just don't know how expensive it, it is to maintain my cabin at the lake and pay dues to keep my membership at the country club and the bowling league. Anyway, churches put too much emphasis on money. Mr. Luke Warm. The indifferent, apathetic, lukewarm Christian centered on self, centered on what he or she can get out of life and does not care about the things that are of actual eternal importance. Now, when it comes to sports, they're all in. When it comes to their favorite TV show, their favorite movie, they're enthusiastic. But when it comes to Christ, when it comes to fulfilling his calling, when it comes to living in holiness, we're lucky if we get a meh. But this indifference towards God is not something new. In the fifth century BC, God's people, his, the people of Israel, they suffered the same apathy, the same indifference. And so God raised a prophet to confront it, calling on the people to consider their ways and to repent. And so in a series of discourses that, re, that kind of represent legal disputes of the day, God brings up charges and tells them what they need to change so that they can look at themselves and, and they can repent. You know, something to shake them out of their indifference. And, and so today begins a series in the book of Malachi that I pray will break the chains of our indifference. That happens in all of our lives, mine included. We need to get those chains broken so we are no longer indifferent toward the things of Christ. And so I want to read the first dispute. It's very short. It's chapter 1 of Malachi, verses 1 through 5. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read this, these five verses. And this is what God had written through Malachi. This is an oracle, the Lord's message to Israel through Malachi. I have shown love to you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you shown love to us? Esau was Jacob's brother, the Lord explains, yet I chose Jacob and rejected Esau. I turned Esau's mountains into a deserted wasteland and gave his territory to the wild jackals. Edom, who's Esau, says, Though we are devastated, we will once again build the ruined places. So the Lord of heaven's armies responds, They indeed may build, but I will overthrow. They will be known as the land of evil, the people with whom the Lord is permanently displeased. Your eyes will see it, and then you will say, May the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I, I pray that you would cause some self-reflection today in all of us, me especially, to check our attitudes, Lord, of how we truly have been toward you, to see how much the world has influenced us, and Lord, may it, we break those chains and just go all out for you, because you went all out for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Malachi tells us that God has given him an oracle, and you know, it is talking about that God gave him a divine revelation, 
But some scholars believe that this word for oracle is related to the Hebrew term for burden. And so we might say that God had a burden for his people. God shared that burden with Malachi and God used Malachi as the mouthpiece to talk about the burden that he has in the hopes that these people would come to repentance. Well, you know, I feel we need to have a burden as well. We need to have a burden that Christ would be made known, that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be glorified. I mean, yes, we're surrounded by the enemies of the cross. But we are, you know, we're also kind of dragged down by the, well, the indifference that is found in so many places in Christianity. I mean, we are surrounded by many churches and many Christians and many people who their Christianity is just meh, you know? And, and so the, the first dispute here, we might actually kind of find a, a, a hint here at to why, at least one of the reasons why they, they were indifferent, because God's people doubted God's love for them. They may have felt that God didn't care for them, so they just lived in this perpetual apathy. They may have thought, well, you know what, if God is indifferent to us, then, you know, we're going to be indifferent to him. Well, why in the world would they think that way? Well, let me put the, the book of Malachi into context. Now, God had punished his people by sending them into exile through the Babylonians. And so for about 70 years, they were in exile with the Babylonians, but then the Medo-Persian Empire took over, and they allowed God's people to return to the land. So the Jews came back to Israel, to Judah. They rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple, although it wasn't as grand as Solomon's, but they still rebuilt it. But they were still under the government control of dreaded Gentiles. They were still under the government control of the Persians. And so that, I mean, it might be a partial explanation for their attitude. Yeah, we're back in, in the promised land, but we're still under control by the, the Persians. We're not where we think we ought to be. We're not experiencing what we think we ought to experience. And, and so God begins his oracle reminding the people he does love them. I mean, it says right there in verse two, I have shown love to you. Yes, he disciplined them because of their disobedience, but that doesn't mean his love changed. Just because God disciplines doesn't mean he, he doesn't love. I mean, parents, we discipline because we love. And so, yes, they, they went through that whole, whole ordeal. Yes, they're still under the Medo-Persian empire, but that doesn't mean God's love for them ever changed. And so God says, I've shown you love, and then they get all attitude. How have you shown us love? Have you seen what's going on with us, God? Yeah, how have you shown us love? Things weren't the way that they thought they should be. So they question God's love. They remind me of the child who doesn't get his or her way. You, you dare to say no to them, and they say, you don't love me. I want, give me that, I want to buy that piece of candy. No, you don't love me. I... I I want to go over to my friend's house. No, you don't love me. If you love me, you'd let me go to my friend's house and buy me that candy and buy me a pony while you're at it too. You'd get me everything I want. If you don't give me everything I want, you don't love me. Start whining and complaining. That's what the Jews are doing. They're whining and 
complaining. They're saying things are not the way we want to be, so you must not love us. And so God reminds them about how much he loved them, how he has demonstrated his love toward them. And, and here's the thing we want to take away from today. When we truly realize how much God loves us, and he loves us a whole lot, when we truly realize how much God loves us, there is no way we can remain indifferent to him. Amen. There's no way. When we allow it to sink in how much God loves us, what he did to show his love, there's just, there is no way we can just be like, meh, whatever. So how did God demonstrate his love? First today, God demonstrates love through covenant. God demonstrates love through covenant to show how much he loves them. God reminded the Israelites about their history. I mean, just think about your history, Israel. Think about what happened all the way back to the beginning of how he began forming a people through one man. God shows Abraham from whose seed the world would be blessed. And then Isaac was the child of promise that came to Abraham in his old age. And then, and then Isaac had two sons. He had Esau and Jacob. They were twins. But Esau technically was the firstborn. And, and so now here's the thing. Here's kind of where God is going with this. Normally in the ancient Near East, the firstborn, even if it's twins, the firstborn would get the bulk of the inheritance they usually receive all the blessings and the promises and the contracts that follow the lineage. It usually goes through the firstborn. But God, he, his plans and ways are different than man's. His ways are way higher than ours. He had a perfect will. He had a perfect plan. He had perfect purposes. And he did not choose the firstborn. In fact, before the twins were even born, God told them the older would serve the younger. And so through Malachi, what God is doing is God is reminding them of their heritage that they were God's chosen people because they were the descendants from God's chosen of Jacob in continuing the line of redemption. Now within the text of Malachi here, God said, uh, you know, speaks it, uh, talks about this in, at the end of verse 2, going into verse 3. Now, many translations you might have will say that I've loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. But the words, that, the Hebrew words that are being used there is the wording of covenant. I have come into an agreement with one. I have not with the other. Now, you know, so the, the love-hate thing, it wasn't some arbitrary thing just kind of on a whim as well the new english translation that I, I i read from what it says is i chose jacob and i rejected esau that this is god's love for his people god chose jacob to continue the covenant esau was rejected from the covenant now a covenant is an agreement between two parties god had made a covenant with abraham that the world would be blessed through his seed that covenant was continued through Isaac and now it continued through Jacob instead of Esau and they being the descendants of Jacob that covenant was with them now yeah again by, by tradition in the ancient Near East Esau would have been the one through whom the covenant would have gone but that's not the way God wanted it God doesn't follow human rules so 
in essence, what God is telling the Israelites is how in the world can you doubt my love for you since I made and continued the covenant through your ancestor? You are my chosen people in this world. I don't have covenant with anybody else in this world, but I have covenant with you. You're my chosen, you're my people. So how can you doubt my love for you? So what in the world does that mean for us? Well, here, if we ever doubt God's love or if we are, the doubt of God's love should ever lead us into some sort of indifference about the things of God, we need to remember what he did to bring us into covenant with him. Because now we are God's chosen people. But it's not because of anything that we did. It's not because of our heritage. It's not because of our lineage. It's because of what God accomplished. God made a one-sided covenant with us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And all we do is we believe and we accept the gift and we are in covenant with God. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again to grant eternal life and we trust by faith. And when we trust by faith, we are brought into covenant with God. So think about this. We sinned, we were rightly condemned. We are rightly judged by God, being holy and perfect. And yet, we are forgiven. And not only are we forgiven, we are actually brought into his family. That's part of the covenant. You know, Jesus said that when, for the Lord's Supper, when he, he was telling us, that, look, this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. I am shedding my blood so you can be an everlasting covenant with the Father, with God, with the Trinity. The creator of the universe so loved us that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love toward us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so then we can come into covenant with him. The creator of the universe so loved you like that and all you gotta say is, meh, seriously? We should be humbled by this show of love. We should be overjoyed by this show of love. We, we should just be in eternal gratitude because of this show of love. God so loved us, he came into covenant with us. That doesn't leave room for any sort of indifference. But then, you know, kind of continuing the theme, he, he continues talking about the demonstration of love and, and, and how you can't be indifferent toward God because of this. But, but secondly today, what, what God says through Malachi is that God demonstrates his love to us through his faithfulness. Through his faithfulness. So, so God takes the concept of covenant to the next step. Not only did God choose Israel as his people, he remained faithful to the covenant the entire time. That doesn't mean God wouldn't discipline his people, but God would never, ever forget or forsake them. When God, you know, God had made another covenant with them through Moses, it was different from the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and especially if you read Deuteronomy, 
It was a conditional covenant on their obedience. If you obey, you will live long in the land. If you disobey, you are going to be driven from the land. Guess what happened? They disobeyed. They were driven from the land. They had become an idolatrous people who turned their back on God. So God used the Babylonians as a mean of discipline to take them into captivity, took them out of the land. But that does not mean God cast them away permanently because the covenant of a that he gave through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still stood. And God showed his faithfulness to that covenant by bringing them back into the land of promise. You know, if, if God was a God who broke covenant, he could have just left them scattered. I'm sick and tired of dealing with you people. Just stay scattered. I don't care. But then God would have broken his covenant and our God doesn't break promises. God was faithful in that he restored the Israelites to the land. I mean, no, it wasn't like it was before. No, there wasn't a Davidic king sitting on a throne, but God brought them back. God is faithful. And God wants them to get this concept of faithfulness by contrasting how he dealt with Israel versus how he dealt with Esau. Um, you know, Judah, because Judah wasn't the only land that was sieged by the Babylonians. The Jews weren't the only people that were taken into captivity. Esau, who was also called Edom, he became a nation. Uh, their territory was kind of southeast of the Dead Sea, kind of, kind of sort of around where Jordan is right now. And, and the Babylonians took over Edom and drove them from their land. But here's the difference, that God is trying to get through their thick skulls. I restored you. I did not restore them. I brought you back to your land that I had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not them. I didn't bring them back into, into their land because God was not in covenant with Esau and Edom. He, he wasn't under any sort of obligation. In fact, Esau and Edom, even though they were, you know, kind of kinfolk to the Israelites, I mean, frankly, they treated Israel like a bunch of jerks. I mean, they were just real, ooh, they, they were just not nice. Maybe kind of sort of like real brothers, I don't know. You know, sometimes they, they get, get at each other, but no, they were real, weren't nice, and, and, you know, they treated Israel like an enemy, so God kind of treated them like an enemy. And so, so God, he, he reminds the Israelites that Esau, Edom, what it says here in, in verse 3, I've turned them into a deserted wasteland. I have given their territory to the jackals. I mean, yeah, there were surviving Edomites. And, and these Edomites, they talked a big game about, oh, we're going to rebuild. Yes, we're going we're to go. And God here says, verse 4, you know, I, yeah, they can talk the big game, but I'm going to overthrow I mean, they are, their land is going to be known as the land of evil, the people with whom the Lord is permanently displeased. I'm going to thwart any attempt that they do of, of rebuilding because I'm not in covenant with them. But I am in covenant with you, Israel, and I am faithful to you, and I restored you because I'm faithful. And, and we know that God fulfilled covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, we're, we are on this side of history. We know that he fulfilled covenant because he, he had told Abraham that through your seed, the entire world is going to be blessed. 
And that's pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that seed through whom all the world is blessed, if they would believe. God was faithful to everything that he had told Israel. And so, what, what does that mean to us? This reminds us that, you know, if God is faithful to all these other covenants, God is going to be faithful to the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. When someone is saved through Jesus Christ, that means that God is never going to go back on his covenant promises. Jesus said he made a new covenant through his blood, and all who believe are now part of that covenant, and God is going to remain faithful. That is where our security comes from. That is where our assurance comes from. God remains faithful to his covenants, and he has made covenant to us through Jesus Christ. We are secure in Jesus Christ because our God is a covenant-keeping God. The, the covenant and, and our relationship with God is not dependent upon how tightly we can hold onto Jesus. It has everything to do about how tightly he holds onto us. Because as another preacher says it over and over again, if we could lose our salvation, we would. Because we would not be able to keep covenant. But the covenant is not dependent on us. The whole covenant is dependent on God and what he did through Jesus Christ and our God never fails. Our God never turns his back on his promises. Our God never says, well, you know, eh, forget that covenant. I'm just going to do something else. God is faithful to his covenant. Do we think so little of the God who holds on to us? Do we think so little of the God who is, is eternally faithful to his word and to his promises and to his covenant? I mean, does that sound like someone we should be nonchalant about? Here's a God who loves us, who remains faithful to us, no matter how badly we mess up. And let's face it, we all badly mess up. And he doesn't cast us aside. He doesn't say, oh, I'm just so sick and tired of you, even though he has every right to be. He doesn't. He holds on to us. He says, I love you. You are mine. You are my child. And all we're going to say is, meh. What's wrong with us? As R.C. Sproul said, what's wrong with you people? You know, what's wrong with us? So how should we respond? What was the response of the Israelites or what should have been the response of the Israelites and what should be our response? Thirdly, very quickly today, we respond to his love through worship. We respond to his love through worship. And so God concludes this dispute by telling them what their reaction is gonna be. Once you let the knowledge of God's love just kind of sink into your brain, once you finally get it, you know, once you just let God's love wash over you and you're like, oh, man, God really loves me. This is what he says is the response in verse five. Your eyes will see it. Your eyes, is gonna see, your, your eyes are gonna see how I show you love. And then you will say, may the Lord be magnified even beyond the borders of Israel. May the Lord be magnified even beyond the borders of Israel. When you see how much God loves you, when we see how much God loves us, how he faithfully keeps covenant with us, we want to praise his name and we want his name to be known throughout the world. 
We want his name to be known outside of our own little tiny sphere of influence. The, the, this statement Here's that, oops, forgot to turn that off. The statement that God says people will make is not one of indifference. It, it's, it's someone who is like overwhelmed by the fact, oh, my God loves me. He keeps his covenant. He is faithful to me. Even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. You know, one of these days, God's love for us is finally going to click. And we're going to say, may the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of Israel. May the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of harvest. May the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of Alabama. May the Lord be magnified even beyond the border of the United States. You know, his love, it's going to finally catch on. It's going to finally catch on to us. And you know what? We're going we're, we're gonna to be like, oh, I don't know why I never saw that before. It's like, oh, the light bulb moment. Wow, God loves us. Or, you know, like when I was a kid and they had those commercials about, you know, you, you need energy and, and there's this healthy drink choice you could have had, but you didn't, and instead of drinking, you know, you drank the junk. And then all of a sudden you kind of realize, oh, do you remember the commercial I'm talking about? I could have had a V8. Oh, epiphany. Well, this is gonna be a V8 moment. We all need us a little V8 moment, you know? In the commercial, they hit their head, you know. Oh, I could have had a V8. We all need a V8 moment. Oh, my God, God loves me. His love is unbelievable. Instead of being, you know, we're going to come to a point where finally we're like, oh, we're not so self-involved and, and we're not so indifferent. You know, yeah, I could have, for all this time, I could have magnified the Lord because his love is so overwhelming. I've wasted so much of my life living for self, living for junk that doesn't matter. And you know, it's good to come to that realization. We don't stay there. The past is the past, but what are we gonna do now to magnify the Lord beyond our borders? What are we gonna do now to get out of this self-made box that we have created for ourselves so that we can magnify the Lord in front of others? What are we gonna do to make our life a life of worship rather than self-service? When are we going to finally get sick of the nah and say his name is great? Magnify the Lord beyond the borders because his love for you is astounding. There's not even words that we can come up with to talk about the love of the Lord. It's just so good. How can we be indifferent to that? So let me, let me close with this thought. So there's this viral video going around, and I think I even shared it, uh, about a pastor who was talking at a leadership conference, and he talks about when he went to China to train church leaders and pastors there in China. And so there were 22 pastors and leaders who came taking a 13-hour train trip to the place where they were meeting, and if they would have been caught meeting together, they would have gone to prison. In fact, 18 of the 22 people that were there they, uh, they actually had already been in prison for the faith. And so they were seated on wooden floors for three days from eight to five every day. They sat under teaching. They soaked it all in so they could be better pastors. They could be better leaders. They could understand the Lord even more. 
They didn't have enough Bibles to go around to the people, but it didn't matter because most of them had a good portion of the Bible memorized anyway. You know, in China, owning your own Bible is like illegal, and they don't want you to have it, and, 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 and so if you're caught with one, I mean, you might go to prison, it's taken away from you, but they can't take what's in your heart, so, you know, it's there. So on the last day of the training, they asked this pastor to pray for them that they would be like American Christians with the ability to meet in groups freely. And the pastor said, there's no way I'm gonna pray for you to be like American Christians. And they were just like, what? What do you mean? And, and he compared their commitment versus the commitment of Americans, you know, the American indifference that there is. Because they rode a 13-hour train ride to be there, and Americans won't drive more than an hour to get anywhere of, of significance like that. In America, you know, if, for them, I mean, they sat, you know, from eight to five, three days a week on a wooden floor to hear the teachings of God. In America, if the pastor goes beyond 40 minutes, you're out of there, and you might not come back. I mean, they sat on this wooden floor for three days in a building that didn't have air conditioning. In America, if you don't have padded pews or seats and you don't have air conditioning, I mean, ain't no one coming. In America, there's an average of two Bibles per household and they're not ever read. In China, there's barely any Bibles and yet they have memorized a good portion of it. And they do it a lot of times from scrap pieces of paper. They get a piece of paper that has scripture written on it and they memorize it and then pass it on to somebody else for them to memorize. And so this pastor said, I am not praying that you become like us. I'm praying that we become like you. That we would care, let it be so. That God would get us out of our indifference. And it starts with us realizing how much God loves us. I mean, how selfish do we have to be to ignore this eternal love, this supernatural love that he has for us? I mean, I pray we never take that love for granted. I pray we never take that love for granted. How much, I mean, if we have love for other human beings on this earth, how much more should we have a love for the God who sent Christ for us? And so, if your spiritual thermometer is registering somewhere around meh, maybe we need to come to the altar today and pray that God gives us a burden for interest and enthusiasm for the things of Christ. Stop being meh. Maybe you want to come today and join a church family where we are going to steer ourselves away, away from being meh. We're going to be on mission. We are growing and living for Christ together. No, no more, no more meh, no more indifference. But maybe you haven't even received Christ, God's love because God's love comes through Jesus Christ. God's love isn't demonstrated by him just, you know, blessing whatever it is you're doing. God's love is demonstrated that he gave Christ to us while we are still sinners. Christ died for you. He rose again so that you could have eternal life. There is no other way. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So during the invitation, I'm gonna be up front here. And uh, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to introduce you to my Savior who so loves. And what a great love it is. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.